Blog Talk Radio. are beating a little too fast because of a lot of the things that are happening in our country that scare us. It makes our heart beat fast. <clears throat> this is Marcianne. I think the only answer to what everything that's going on is to um, to love and to be loved. <laughs> but to say that just sounds so trite right now. You know, as families bury their loved ones and senseless killings go on and on. So um, I wanted to continue my show from last time, which was What is Love? And I'm calling this show What is Love Part 2. And... On my show, What is Love, Part 1, I talked about love from the perspective of being a person who has been born and lived all my life here in the United States. And I shared that what I have discovered about this, what I didn't know before, and that is that I had always considered, you know, certain neutral sources of information in this country, like Webster's Dictionary or Roger's Thesaurus or Wikipedia or the Encyclopedia Botanica, but there are no neutral sources of information in this country at all. (laughs) And actually, our founding fathers were Christians, and our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and our justice system and the very philosophy of this nation, which You know, incidentally, we just celebrated our birth recently, and we are only 240 years old, so we're just a mere child in the whole scheme of things here on this planet. But um, our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, were all written by our founding fathers who were Christians, and everything that they desired to establish here and all of the ideas and concepts that they tried to create and protect about the top of life that they now wanted here were all brought forth through their fundamental Christian beliefs. Now, our original founding fathers were protesters, and we're a country of protesters. That's how we express our freedom, apparently, by protesting. It seems like it's the only way we know how to express ourselves is to protest about what we don't want. And mostly it's because that is the original energy that created this country.
country. Our founding fathers were Christian Protestants. That means they originally left the Catholic Church in protest against the Pope, and next they protested against the Church of England, and they, who now were going to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to themselves and their posterity. Guess what? Their posterity are you and me. So we are just a land of protesters who want the blessings of liberty. And liberty, another word for liberty is opportunity, and another word for liberty is freedom. And I think a lot of people who are protesters think that liberty means freedom to do whatever they want to do, and freedom does include this. But only if your freedom doesn't inhibit the freedom of others. And this country's idea of justice for all is an eye for an eye. You kill, you'll be killed. And this is also a concept which comes from our founding fathers because the origin of it is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were a lot of thou shalt and thou shalt not. (laughs) They were originally given at the beginning of man's development as a human species. When he was just stepping into his status as a homo sapiens and was who had really still just been operating out of the instincts and wisdoms of the homo erectus. The species Homo erectus is now considered an extinct species because Homo sapiens is now the acknowledged name for the human being now because, um, well, actually, and incidentally, (laughs) we are all Homo sapiens. I mean, regardless of what color or nationality or culture that we belong to, we are all humans. And the problem with still using the Ten Commandments is that we are thousands of years past that time. Homo erectus is now extinct. And Homo sapiens now has thousands of years' experience. I mean, surely haven't we learned some stuff? And I'm not saying that we don't still need the ideas of the Ten Commandments anymore because there still are members of our society who are just above the animal level in their soul development because the evolution, everything, is always changing. Did you see that video that went viral about the goat who was trying to talk to his owner? I mean, I think that goat's going to be a homo erectus the next time around and then pretty soon a homo sapiens. It's interesting to me that at the time of the evolution of the human from Homo erectus to Homo sapiens, there was a great climate change. Well, wake up, everybody. We're again in a great climate change, and guess what? There actually is a group of humans who are now operating and appearing They are the new species of humans. We could call them Homo spiritus, 
or a minister friend of mine, Reverend David Hulse, calls them homo luminous uh, because you can look at his blog and listen to his radio show by going to www.lightwithin.com because when God said, let there be light, the light went forth and made everything including eventually you and me. And when we are totally filled with light, with no darkness, then we could be homo luminous. We probably (laughs) would shine. (laughs) You know those pictures of saints with the halos around their heads? That's the beginning of this understanding. And many times if an angel or an ascended master appears here in the third dimension, they are seen as light beings because this is where we are all headed it is speculated that our our very blood is congealed light well some of these new species of humans have evolved through this lifetime I mean having the ages go through them instead of them having to go through the ages of time because I feel like I have lived seven lifetimes during this particular incarnation. And I know I have more DNA in operation now. And some of these new species of humans are the kids being born today who do have more DNA in operation. People, you know what? Up till now, we've only had 3% of our DNA in operation And all of that research that's going on in the pharmaceutical labs in the Human Genome Project is only working with 3% of information. It's no wonder that half the drugs have such alarming side effects. Do you know there is actually a gene that's called a wandering gene? (laughs) They've never been able to actually, you know, track it down. It's like it, it, it pops up and then it's gone and... They don't know what it is or what it does. (laughs) So maybe when you take one of these drugs drugs and you get one of those horrible side effects, one of those wandering genes kind of, you know, floats by. Well, I wouldn't, you know, I kind of trust my body because my body knows how to take care of everything. So I don't mess around with those pharmaceuticals. Uh, so we still uh, have a long way to go. Uh, we're we're really new at being a species. I mean, all you have to do is listen to the news to know that we still have a long way to go. However, this new species is appearing, and there is hope for us as a people and as a nation. But another step we need to take as a people and as a nation is to begin to understand and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, currently the Christian church in this nation and all other Christian nations, as well as all of the Catholic nations, are teaching the doctrines of men that were established at the Nicene Council of 325 A.D. I mean, I know I keep talking about this, but we have to keep talking about it until we, people get the message. You know, that's what commercials do. They play them over and over and over and over and over, and pretty soon you're singing their little jingle in the shower, and the next thing you know, you buy what you're singing about. Because every time you hear something, if you don't reject it, 
a new neural pathway has been created that is establishing that idea as information for you. And eventually that information can become your truth that you live your life by. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ has never been preached yet. He came here to earth 216 years ago, and his message still hasn't been taught. And unfortunately, our founding fathers only knew the doctrines of men that were established at the Nicene Council. All Catholics and most Christians know the Nicene Creed. It says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible. Okay, that part's okay. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. Well, this isn't true. (laughs) We are all sons of God. I mean, Jesus isn't the only one. Jesus is a Son of God who who uh, showed all of us how we are to live our lives as sons of God. Okay, um, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. Well, that sentence is true. But it's not just true about Jesus. It is true about all of us. We were begotten before the foundations of the world were laid. God from God, light from light. Everything came out of the light. True God from true God, begotten of the same essence as the Father. And then they say, all things were made, oh, well, I say, all things are made out of the light. And when God said, let there be light, everything came forth. So then it says, he came down from heaven. Well, yes, he did come down in order to be the example to all of us. And he said that the things he did, we can do. And even greater things. And it says he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. Well, this is not true. Mary and Joseph were married. Sorry about that, but they were. And if you go back into history and study that, you would know that none of that story could possibly be true. The Bible says Jesus emptied himself of being God and took on the form of a man. Well, all of us have to empty ourselves of being part of God. That's where we come from. So we have to empty ourselves out in order to take on the form of a human being. We descend from the realms of loving and being loved into the third dimension of time and space in order to take on the form of of a human being. I mean, we chose a human being. We didn't take on the form of a tree or a bear or an orchid or a whale or a seagull. We took on the form of a human coming through Homo erectus. And after the DNA was brought to us by Adam and Eve, we became Homo sapiens. And when Jesus came, he was in the form of Homo sapien, not 
Homo erectus. Then the next part of the creed says, he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. Well, he was not crucified for us. He gave up his life so he could take the power of death and transmute it into life eternal for the entire planet. And on the third day, he rose again and ascended into the dimensions of spirit. There are many, many, many dimensions. They're called heavens. Paul went to the seventh heaven, including the realms of the ascended masters and teachers, the realms of all the cosmic laws, the realms of the angels. I mean, many, many, many dimensions beyond this third dimension. Okay, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Well, that's right, because seated at the right hand of the Father means that Jesus now is in his full authority over the realm that he is now in charge of. And I could go into what I think Jesus is in charge of, but that, you know, let's not get into that right now. He he has a I'll just say he has a lot of authority now. But then it says he will come again with glory to judge the quick and the, the living and the dead. And I have to tell you, no, Jesus is not coming again. He did what he had to do, and he is very busy now. He finished what he had to do here, and he says this on the cross. It is finished, and he's not coming back. This was a false idea that his disciples had because they all believed that he was going to set up a physical kingdom here and that they would all have important positions in the government. But Jesus never said this. In fact, he said, my kingdom is not of this world, flesh and blood. The kingdom of God is within you and comes not in outward observation other than by the deeds that are accomplished in all of the homo sapiens who breathe the breath of God. Well, the last verse says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, giver of life. That's true. We, we have our life through the Spirit of God, who proceeds from the Father and with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. Well, you know, you, <laughs> I'm really thankful every day for my breath. I breathe in and out. And uh, we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. Uh, well, there really is only Catholic means every everybody. And that's true. Everybody is in God's church here on earth. And it says we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, getting baptized is a symbolic of being washed with the water of the word of God. And that word was spoken by Jesus. And he said that the words that he spoke, they were spirit and they were life. He said he was the bread of heaven and everyone who ate of this bread would never die. And then they said, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Well, you know what? This is all they knew at that time. I mean, Jesus had already resurrected the dead at that time who were the souls waiting in shoal for Messiah. And the life in the world to come is the life that we are to live now. There is no more waiting. 
we do not have to die to get to heaven. And there isn't any shoal anymore. So we can live in either heaven or hell right now. And as long as there's killing and being killed, we're living in hell. And to get to heaven, we have to love and to be loved. Because love is the power of heaven. Do you know that this creed was developed actually as a protest? (laughs) It was protesting what at that time were considered heretical teachings that were developing. And this council was in 325 A.D. So for 325 years after Jesus had been here, every little congregation everywhere kind of had their own ideas of what Jesus said and why he did what he did and who he really was. And and there wasn't any unity at all. And these little congregations were started and continued by some of the disciples, but then when Paul went to Italy and Greece, you know, all kinds of other congregations were started up in totally different cultures. And everybody kind of had their own ideas about it. And little congregations would start out, and then they'd get to a point where they couldn't agree on everything, so they'd break apart, and then a new little congregation would start. And these were all over the known Christian world at that time. Now, I can't go into all of the church history but here because it's just a continual history of people protesting. Because <laughs> when a dispute would arise, the people protested, and then they just would start their own thing. Because there was tremendous disparage about the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. And actually, if we could get this part straightened out, we would have the answers to all of our problems. Somehow we have to get from killing and being killed to loving and being loved. And all I've heard in the news these last couple of days is that we're a nation divided. Well, how can we be unified? How can we stop the protesting and start loving one another? Well, to do this, we just need a whole new idea of what love is. And love is not found in protesting. Protesting brings killing and being killed. And if you don't see this by now, I just don't know what else has to happen. Violence begets violence. And we're never going to go forward by trying to force anybody to do anything. You can't force love. Love has to be freely given and freely received. You can't point a gun at someone and tell them to love you. The days of parents beating their children while they tell them that they are doing it because they love them are over. I mean, spare the rod and spoil of the child. It's Old Testament teachings that went along with the Ten Commandments. That time is over. It's time to know that the fear of the Lord, which brings us wisdom, means to honor and respect, and allow, and to accept each other, and to bow to the God in one another, to reverence one another. I remember when I got my ministerial ordination papers, and I was bestowed with the title reverend, I was just disgusted. (laughs) 
I thought to myself, the Bible says that ministers are men of like passions, just like their parishioners. So how could I be more reverend than any other person? And when my brides and grooms would ask me how they should address me, I would say, just call me Marcy Ann. I am not more reverend than anybody else. I am Marcy Ann. And and when I think of where we are as a society today, I can't stand back and point the finger. A society doesn't get to be in the condition that our society is now overnight. It's a steady, step-by-step, person-by-person procedure. And I haven't been innocent. I am not reverent, more reverent than anybody else. And this is the way we all have to start to think about it. I just loved it when I learned that way back in the cultures of Asia, way, way, way back, before there was ever even the beginnings of Christianity on this planet, people bowed to one another. And it was a gesture that meant the God in me salutes the God in you. Do you think we could go there now to recognize and acknowledge that each and every person who breathes, breathes with the breath of God, or else they wouldn't even be alive. So we could begin to acknowledge and accept that God is in that person, and God is love. God doesn't have love. God is love. That's all that God is, love. So however that person in front of us is expressing God is according to the amount of experience that that person has had with loving and being loved. And however we are expressing ourselves is according to how much experience we have with loving and being loved. And if you feel that you really don't know what it feels like to love and to be loved, well, that is where all of us could start. We could start with whatever we identify with love right now and in that knowing love ourselves. You know, my granddaughter just bought herself a ring. It was a ring that she'd been wanting for a long, long time. And she had kind of hoped that her boyfriend would buy it for her, but he didn't. And so she, and she really, really wanted it. So she bought it for herself. You know, however you feel love, maybe you could make a list. I did a show a couple years ago about how people perceive love, and some people feel loved when they do something for someone else, and and some people feel loved when they receive a gift. And true love is not expecting anything in return for loving. True love gives without thought of return. And also you could start by looking within yourself where the kingdom of God is and ask your higher knowing to show you if you lack integrity or trust or compassion or acceptance because to the extent that you can't trust, you won't be able to either love or receive love. And if you lack integrity in your life, you will not trust that the other person is being honest with you. And if you have had a bad experience, well, sometimes we then project that same outcome on a new experience, and that isn't fair. 
There is so much information today on the Internet about loving and being loved that just a little time spent reading other people's experiences about loving and being loved is so much more helpful than continuing to fuel our protesting. I mean, instead of fighting against something, could you begin to be in favor of something positive in your life and take your attention off of what you don't want and begin to put your attention on what you do want. That's what the fear of the Lord means. Put your attention on what you do want. And then begin to take little steps toward what you really want. I know you don't want killing and being killed. So we're going to have to stop the protesting. Because what is the absolute critical need of a human soul? Some people would say freedom, and I would say freedom is a very desirable environment for a soul to develop in. But souls have also developed in very hostile and very limited circumstances. So freedom isn't critical to a soul's development. The most critical need of any soul is loving and and being loved. And I'm beginning to realize after all these years that having Christianity as the fundamental level of our culture has now, in its extreme, created a wheelchair society of handicapped parking spaces, special needs children, people who walk with canes and walkers, living on disability, and saying they're God-fearing people. That's the problem, God-fearing What about God-loving people? How can we get to be a God-loving culture? What we as a nation need to do is to throw off the shackles of the doctrines of men that took over the Christian faith at the Nicene Council at 325 A.D. and take another look at the teachings of Jesus. Find out who Jesus was. Find out why he came to earth. Find out what he is doing now. Ask the question, why did we change the way we kept time from B.C. to A.D. after he finished his business here? What was so important about his business here? We just need a whole new gospel to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ and reestablish our nation as people who will get out of their wheelchairs and off of disability and quit bellyaching about prejudice, quit protesting about everything, and begin to know their full sovereignty as a son of God in the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ and be God-loving people, loving and being loved. The Hebrew word for, for, for fear in that verse that says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom means reverence, to hold dear, respect, venerate, honor, and esteem, consideration, and give your attention to. So to fear the Lord is to give attention to what God holds dear. And what God holds dear is us, his creation. And it includes everything and everybody. So to fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom, would mean to respect and honor and esteem everybody. 
But down through the ages, since the Nicene Council, the, the church has taught us to fear God. That God has a big stick. His big stick is called hell. And if you're bad, you're going to go to hell forever and be tormented and tortured forever and ever. And all of those images that Botticelli painted from the ideas that were written in Dante's Inferno were branded in our minds, suffering souls and a forever thirst, their bodies burning forever. So we were afraid of God, and we became more afraid of God when we found out supposedly that God killed his son so that we could be worthy of being loved. What kind of monster God is this? Boy, we got more scared. So thus we became a mass culture of God-fearing people. And I ask you, where is the love? Where is there any love in all of this? I have to tell you that I have struggled my whole life to try to feel love about Jesus dying for my sins. And it just has not worked for me. There is an intrinsic error deep within this idea that just doesn't match up with I know what I know deep within myself where the truth is. Because in the deep is God's love. Because that's all God has and is, is love. And that love is in the deep of everything. The deep within the sun, the deep within the ocean, the deep within the tree, the deep within you and me, the deep within our hearts. There we know what love really is. And love would not kill anything for any reason. It seems that the road of protesters usually leads to killing and being killed. This country has steadfastly driven down the road of protest and dissent, resulting in war and bloodshed, murder and killing and being killed. And as I've been looking at my sources of information as no longer being neutral, but influenced and actually manipulated in their meetings by our Christian beginnings, I understand that the original energy that created this nation as one of protesting has its roots in doubt and unbelief. And here I know I'm on to something, because the doubt and unbelief of the protester is the symptom of the sickness of the false teachings of the Christian church. Because down deep in our heart, we know what love is. And everything we have experienced points to the fact that what we have been taught isn't right. And the symptom is unbelief. Because we can't believe something that isn't true. Because we are a divine soul that is attached by the umbilical cord of our very breath to the source of all things which is God, which is love. I believe that as little children, right from the beginning, the false teachings of the church were validated and supported by belief in Santa Claus. And when we found out that we were lied to about Santa Claus, 
we then knew for sure, for sure, that we had been lied to about Jesus dying for our sins. And from then on, the protester energy was continually fueled within us. And all we knew to do was to fight against things. And fighting leads to killing. And we now are a nation whose nightly news is the police report of killing and being killed. And I ask again, where is the love? And as we have evolved as a nation and the principles of liberty and justice for all allowed for great productivity and prosperity, another aspect of the protester surfaced, a deeper, more criminal aspect of doubt and unbelief which is that there is not enough. And greed appeared, and with greed came the galloping ghost of war to possess resources. And war is killing and being killed. So is it any wonder that it's hard for us as a nation to understand love? All we really know about love is what love isn't. We kill in the name of love. That's what war and the death penalty is, killing to atone for the misdeed of killing. And doesn't that sound familiar? God so loved the world, he killed his only begotten son, whose death now atones for the sins of all mankind, killing and being killed. This is what love is in the Christian religion, and yet Christians will point the finger at ISIS. Boy. Is that the pot calling the kettle black? So to get to loving and being loved, we need to know why Jesus came to earth. Yes, he did come to set the record straight. But he didn't die for our sins because, first of all, he didn't die. When he was taken off the cross and laid in the tomb, he went into Sheol and set free all of the souls who were waiting there for Messiah. And then he took the power of death in his own hands, and he took all of the power out of it. And with the power of God's breath of the Holy Spirit, he transmuted death's power back into the power of eternal life. And if the gospel of Jesus Christ was really preached, we would already be 2,016 years into life eternal here on this planet instead of souls still going to what people call heaven or hell to still wait for Messiah. Messiah has come. Jesus came. He broke the power of death. He resurrected. He isn't on that cross anymore, that, like he's depicted in on every Catholic church I've ever been in, except Sakur in Paris. And the Christian church will preach the resurrection, but not for us. We still have to die. This is just absurd to me, because if the power of death has been transmuted into eternal life, then we don't die. We continue on. We have eternal life now, and our eternal life is a path of constant enlightenment about loving and being loved, not killing and being killed. Killing is still in the old story of the Old Testament, and Jesus said, He finished all of that, and now we are in eternal life, and we are living it now, and we're either living in heaven or hell right now. 
Well, to live in heaven, we need to live to love and to be loved. And we can all begin today by taking the idea of bowing to everyone from now on. The God in me salutes the God in you. The God in me salutes the God in you. I honor and respect the God in you. I hold in high esteem and give my attention to the God in you. I hold dear the God in you because I am living in loving and being loved.